You are listening to Gala Loves Everything with Gala Darling, where we talk about manifesting your future self and healing what keeps you small and boring. With over 17 years in the healing industry, you can count on me to keep it clear, concise, and real with a side of F-bombs. Yeah, I'm almost definitely gonna say fuck. If you wanna be the creative badass you've always dreamed of, I've got you. Let's go. Hello gorgeous and welcome to another episode of Gala Loves Everything and this episode is about the biggest lessons I learned in 2022 and there's 10 plus a bonus lesson because who doesn't want a bonus lesson? So without any further ado, let's just jump into these and these are things that I would say have been hard-earned lessons. These have been lessons that have been painful and challenging and difficult and I wanted to condense them into one little spot here so that ideally you don't have to make the same mistakes that I did and also just to remind myself about these essential things. I mean, maybe when I'm 90, I can listen back to these podcasts I made when I was 39 and be like, oh, wow, she was really onto something. Or maybe I'll just think I was an idiot. And that's okay too, you know, like whatever. But I would like to think I'm making my 90-year-old self proud. At least that's my goal. So lesson number one, people outside of you don't know better than you do. This is a big one. And this applies to so many things. It applies to any ideology that you associate with, whether that's astrology, human design, Myers-Briggs identity tests. It might be a new system that you're coming to understand, whether that's like being more in your feminine, doing manifesting, um, healing, those kinds of things. Or it might just be in your everyday life. This might be something that you really struggle with where you assume that whatever you hear from people is true or that they know what they're talking about better than you do or they know more about you than you do. And this is really insidious. And I think it's really important to remember that everything is made up. Every system, every ideology, every philosophy was created by a person who was flawed and will be taught by someone who is flawed and who brings their own projections and feelings and perspectives to whatever they're teaching. And so this is something I really came up against this year. I was doing a lot of work in the last... mm, two years, I guess, on looking at feminine embodiment and what does that mean and what would be required of me to be more in my feminine. And I really found that it led me down a track of just being confused and forgetting my essence, forgetting what it is that makes me unique and me special. And I think anytime we decide that we are going to glom on to an idea or an ideology, it's very easy to get lost in the sauce and forget who you are, forget your authenticity, forget what makes you great. 
And sometimes these systems can be good. You know, you might read something in human design that's helpful. And in fact, I've read a lot of things in human design that are helpful. But there are other things where we end up just putting ourselves into these teeny tiny little boxes. And those teeny tiny little boxes just end up limiting our ideas of who we can truly be, what we're really capable of. And we start to make excuses for ourselves based on these boxes. And eventually you're going to realize that the box isn't big enough. And then you're going to have to go through the work of extricating yourself from the box. And it's one of the reasons why I am personally not fond of labels, any kind of labels, because they end up limiting you. And the people that knew you because of that label, the people that like loved you because of that label are going to be mad. They're going to be pissed. They're going to be frustrated when you no longer are towing the line of that box. And so I think it's really important that we just step away from believing that other people know better than we do. Because when you follow your own guidance, you really can't go wrong. It's perfect. But when you do what everyone else says and what everyone else thinks you should do and you're taking their advice, their advice could very well be wrong. And it's not going to get you where you want to go. Only you truly know where you want to go. And your job, I believe, is to push those limits, push the boundaries of what you think is doable for you, what you think your potential is. It's to like shove against the wall of your potential and see what fucking happens because it's the only way you're really going to find out what you're capable of. And in fact, I read a great, great quote just after I was like, I filmed that first piece from James Clear and it says... The more you let a single belief define you, the less capable you are of adapting when life challenges you. If you tie everything up in being the point guard or the partner at the firm or whatever else, then the loss of that facet of your life will wreck you. If you're a vegan and then develop a health condition that forces you to change your diet, you'll have an identity crisis on your hands. When you cling too tightly to one identity, you become brittle, lose that one thing and you lose yourself. That is just so true and it's really beautiful to see someone express that idea so eloquently and I just really want to just encourage you. I feel like I'm talking about this a lot with people at the moment. Just encourage you to stay out of the box that you think you have to live in. So the biggest lesson I learned, number two, is that real change happens in your body, not in your mind. We so often feel like we're fed up with something. We know intellectually that something's time has come. We feel overwhelmed or exhausted or moody, or we think like we should have figured this out already. But the truth is that real change doesn't happen in your mind. You've made the decision to stop eating gluten or um, dump that bozo a million times but it doesn't actually happen until your body gives you the signal. And we, there are so many of us that really do believe that we are just, our mind governs everything, and it really is not the case. Your body is so smart, it contains so much intelligence, and you really won't change something until you feel it in your body, and until your 
bones give you the signal that it's time for something to shift. So if you are wondering why you want to make this change, that change, but it hasn't happened yet, my guess is that your body is not there yet. You have to wait for your body to catch up with you. And that can be frustrating when intellectually you feel ready to shift. But the truth is that the readiness signal really comes from your body. Just a little something that you should know. Number three, becoming an adult is about disconnecting from the need to please your parents. This is a big step for a lot of people. It takes a lot of people a long time to get to that point if they ever get to that point. Some people never get there. Some people are constantly obsessed with pleasing their parents. It's the thing that motivates them to do life the way that they do it. It's the thing that motivates them to hit the goals. And they really do run their life based on how they feel that their parents are going to perceive it. And there's nothing wrong with that. And if you really admire and respect and like your parents, then it's okay to, you know, want to be on their good side, right? But when it comes to really becoming an adult, really bossing the fuck up, a big piece of it is stepping away from the need to be who your parents want you to be and doing what they want you to do. And every parent has a different wish for their child. There's a lot of parents who really just want their daughter to get married to someone wealthy. There's a lot of parents who are like, you must get an education that is the most important thing you can do. And some of them are like, you need to give me a grandchild, right? Our parents project all kinds of shit onto us. But really coming into your own and really learning to be a grown-up is about recognizing that it actually doesn't fucking matter what your parents want for you. What matters is what you want for yourself. And really being confident and really being a grown-up adult is about taking the risk of doing the thing that matters to you, even if you know that it's going to upset your parents or the family unit. The idea of trying to keep the peace at all costs is really the MO of a traumatized child. And I just want to spell this out to you. It is not your job to please your parents. You're a grown up. And if they don't like what you're doing, they'll fucking deal with it. And you cannot live your life based on their rule book and their guidelines for life because if you look at their life, is it actually the life you want or do you want something different? And if you look at the choices they've made and you see like, mm, well, this led to that and I certainly don't want to go down that road, then maybe it's time to take what they say with a more than a grain of salt, like a heaping, like a cupful measuring container. So... Yes. And this has been something that I've really been learning this year. And it has been very challenging to, you know, change that relationship with my parents where it used to be, I would go to them for advice on everything. And then I started to realize like, actually the advice that they give me is in some areas of my life, it's not working for what I really want and what my goals really are. And so stepping away from that and stepping away from 
talking to them all the time and having that much closer connection has been really fucking hard. They've been my support system my whole life, but I am going to be 40 in 2023. And it's like, at what point are you going to decide that you know what's right for you? And at what point are you going to stand behind your own decisions? And I, I, you know, I'm fortunate in that I feel like pretty much whatever I do, my parents are going to love and support me and encourage me. And I know that's not everybody's situation. I guess for me, it's like safer for me to make that step. But even if that does feel like a precarious thing to do, it's still extremely important that you do it. And I know that if you're listening to this and you're like, then you know what I'm talking about. You know what it's like to feel like you're under their thumb. You know what it's like to feel like you have to do what they say or there's going to be some kind of punishment or retribution. And I really just want you to be able to step away from that and not need that in your life anymore. Mm. It's tough. Anything to do with a family is tough, to be fair. But um, it's something that feels good once it's done. And that's the thing about making a change in your life. It doesn't always feel good in the moment. Like the process of the change does not always feel joyful and ecstatic. But the result should feel that way. And that's what you're driving towards anyway. Number four, don't avoid tough things by only doing what you're good at. And my very specific example here, because this is something that I did for many, many years, and it's something that I see other people doing, especially women who, you know, women are my specialty, right? I work with them. I love them. I am one. Something I see women do a lot is they get really, really, really good at their career, killing it, making money, bringing home the bacon, all that shit. And they suck at relationships. And instead of building the relationship muscle, they instead decide they will just double, triple, quadruple down on work. And look, there's nothing wrong with loving your work. It's great to love your work. It's awesome to love your work. But when your work muscle is like jacked, like Arnold Schwarzenegger size, and your relationship muscle is atrophied, and you have no idea how to be in a healthy, committed, loyal, functional, healthy relationship, then you're going to have problems. Unless you really are devoted to like the hermit lifestyle, and you're like, you know what, I don't need it. But Usually people who are like, you know what? I don't need a relationship. I don't need a man. I don't need this. I don't need that. Again, is usually a trauma response. And you are just saying that because you had a terrible fucking experience and it hurt you so bad that you're like, well, I don't want to do that again. (sighs) But here's the thing. Life is about taking the risk. Life is about being like, I don't fucking know, but I'm willing to put myself out there. I am willing to try my best. I am willing to go for it because what's on the other side of this could be so phenomenal and I'm never going to know unless I try this. So just that's one example, right? Getting really good at work and sucking ass at relationships. I just see it all the time and I see these women who are killing it at work and making tons of money and calling the shots. They're fucking miserable and they're lonely and they're sad and they keep picking the wrong person because their relationship skills are horseshit. They're bad. 
If this is where you're at, I really encourage you to take a dating sabbatical. I encourage you to get into some kind of therapy. I encourage you to read about your attachment style and I encourage you to do a shit ton of tapping and breath work and hypnosis and subconscious reprogramming so that you do not continue making these same choices. It's like, that's hell, right? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. I think the 12-step programs define that as insanity. Some other people define it as hell. And when you're doing things and getting the same result, but you're confused as to why that is, you know for sure that your subconscious is calling the shots. So you got to start working on the internals in here and reprogramming, rewiring that stuff. It brings me to my next lesson, lesson number five, if you're counting, which is that both people must be actively engaged in the relationship in order to make it work. I have had so many relationships in the past where I felt like if I just worked really hard, then I could make the relationship congeal and come together and be fabulous. But that is simply not possible. One person cannot do the work of two. And both people have to be committed to making something work. And to me, that's really the question when it comes to a relationship. If you're in that place of like, should I stay or should I go? The question is, are you both committed to working on it? And not just like saying you're committed, but actually doing some shit. Being willing to show up differently, being willing to be vulnerable, being willing to try a different dance step rather than the same old two step you guys have been doing for years. I know it's annoying. Nobody wants to hear that. You're like, yeah, but if I read this book and I take this course, like I can make this relationship so good. No, because it's a two person situation and it really does require both of you to be engaged, fully engaged because a relationship is such a big deal. And when it's great, it makes life easy. And when it sucks, it makes life terrible. And you need to both be ready to put the work in because it is a lot of work to make a relationship positive and joyful. And this also leads me to point number six, which is that your sexual trauma is holding you back. If you are one of the billions of people who have experienced sexual abuse or sexual assault, you have been traumatized. It's a fact. And unless you have actively dealt with that moment and the situation and the repercussions, you are almost certainly emotionally stuck and energetically frozen at that point. And whether you know it or not, your subconscious, which desperately wants to keep you safe, is calling the shots in your relationship and it is doing everything it can. Like it is doing the most to keep you safe, small, hidden, blocked out, to keep you withdrawn, to keep you like in a place where there's no risk to you. And you may even find that your trauma is choosing your partners for you. It's choosing partners that are not a threat, partners that you know will never hurt you. But at the same time, partners that are not your equal, partners that do not contribute to your life, etc. So I'm telling you that this is an area of your life that really does need to be worked out and worked on. And it is absolutely not your fault what happened, 
but it is your responsibility to heal it because it is just like this insidious poison that leaks out through your life and through your relationships, punishes your partner and punishes yourself without you even knowing it. And if there's things going on in your relationship and you are confused by your own behavior, then it's a pretty fair guess that your trauma, whether it's sexual or otherwise, is calling the shots and running your subconscious. And you don't want that. You really don't. So my suggestion is that you work on that, whether you work on it. My three top healing modalities are tapping, obviously, breath work, and hypnosis. And I love those. So with tapping, obviously you can work with me in High Vibe Honey or in the Vortex. We do a lot of tapping there. With breath work, my favorite, favorite, favorite breath work is Awaken Breath Work with Hella Weston and Lucas Mack. Also Kiwis. Hey, we got to represent for each other, you know. And um, for hypnosis, my very good friend Grace Smith is my hypnotherapist, but she has an amazing suite of hypnotherapists that work underneath her and she's great. She has an app called the Get Grace app. You should check it out. So those are my recommendations for healing that stuff and working through it. Um, and I really wish you the best in that journey. It's a big journey, but no one can do it for you. It's something that is worth doing. I promise. Number seven, to keep your relationships healthy, you need to bring up items of contention immediately. There is so much festering resentment that goes on in relationships because people are afraid to say when they're bothered or annoyed or upset by something. And the problem with not saying anything and just painting on a big smile and sweeping it under the rug is that it's still under the rug and it starts to stink and it starts to make the whole relationship feel annoying and shitty and bad. And you deserve more than that. So it's one of the simplest relationship tips that I know of. When you're bothered, speak it out loud. <laughs> it sounds too simple to be effective, but I promise you it works. Okay. Number eight. <laughs> this is, it kind of links to the last one, to be honest. The shame of procrastination is more painful than just doing the thing. If you ever had that thing on your to-do list that you have literally had on your to-do list for six months and every time you look at it, you go, oh, I just don't want to. I just don't want to. Ooh. And then finally something happens like you drink one too many coffees or you just get so fed up with looking at it. You finally do it and you realize it only took you five minutes and it's done and you feel so much better and this whole time you've been carrying the weight and the guilt and the shame of procrastination on your back when you didn't need to. And look, it's really easy to say, don't procrastinate. We have some good tappings in Hive of Honey actually around procrastination that you should check out. But it really is like when you notice that you're procrastinating, just train yourself to go. The shame of this hurts more than just doing it and just make yourself do it. There's also a really good book about that called Eat That Frog, which my father is obsessed with, but it's really about doing the hardest thing first because otherwise we do the easy breezy bullshit stuff first. We fill our day with the easy breezy bullshit stuff and we never actually do the things that are really gonna move the needle in our lives. We really have to do the thing, do the thing, do the thing that's scary, do the thing that's hard, whether it's writing a book or making a phone call, it doesn't matter. 
just do the fucking thing and resist the urge to procrastinate and carry the shame of procrastination around on your back like a big hideous backpack. Number nine, also related. It's good. There's like a flow to this. Number nine is to rest when you need to without guilt or shame. Now, I said earlier in this episode, don't, you know, associate too strongly with any one ideology. But I also said I have read some things in human design this year that have really helped me. And as I learn more about human design and my type, which is a manifester, I'm realizing that I do do things differently than other people and the things that seem easy for me are challenging for others and the things that seem easy for others are challenging for me. And one of the things that I've learned about being a manifester is that we spend most of our time resting or at least we should, like we need a lot of rest because when we have our creative urges, which are big, they use a lot of energy and then you just need some time to recuperate or you just feel drained and exhausted all the time. So that has been one of the biggest shifts I've made this year is just allowing myself to rest when I'm tired. Like if I wake up and I'm not feeling it, instead of like forcing myself to do things or pushing myself to do this and that, I just say, okay, just chill out. Who cares? Don't worry about it. And I let myself like wander around my kitchen and lie down. I let myself take a nap. I take two baths. And when I let myself rest, I always feel better the next day. Like I feel like I've replenished my system and I'm ready to fucking rock and roll. But if I resist my need to rest, I, I exacerbate that shitty feeling. It lasts so much longer. So allowing myself to rest when I need to without guilt or shame has been a huge game changer for me this year. I really recommend trying it. We're sold a total fucking bullshit myth about hustle culture and you got to wake up at five in the morning and do this and that and run yourself ragged. I say fucking no, that's not my style. I've never enjoyed that. I don't like that. I like to work when I'm inspired and that is simply what works for me. And that's okay. All right, we're almost done. Number 10, and then we've got one bonus. Okay, number 10 is, I deeply believe this, that the only way to fail is to quit. The only way to fail is to quit. Everything that happens along the way is just grist for the mill. It's information, it's lessons, it's learnings, it's contrast, it's realizations and catalysts, and it's moments where you realize, holy fuck, that's not working, I need to pivot this. But the only way that you can really fail is by quitting, by being like, fuck this, I'm done, I'm throwing in the towel, I will no longer work at this, work on this, or try to make this better. It's the only way you can fail. Like if you are someone who has wanted to have a workout routine and you might do like two days of cardio and then you do two days where you forget to do it or you're too busy or you're too tired and then you're like, well, I could do it again tomorrow. I could just like get back on the horse. I would recommend this. Or I could just be like, fuck it. I'm not even going to try. It's only when you say, fuck it, I'm not even going to try that you failed. But deciding like, okay, I didn't do it the last two days, but I'm going to do it tomorrow. You are still winning. The only way to fail is to quit. 
This is so true of everything. And even in relationships, I think the only way for a relationship to fail is when you're just like, fuck this. It's the only way you fail. Although honestly, sometimes saying fuck this in a relationship that truly isn't working is a great thing to do, right? So don't get it twisted on that. But what I will say is when it comes to your business or you're trying to figure something out or you're trying to learn a skill or whatever, any mistake that you make, any fuck up that you make is not a failure. It's just information. And the only way to fail is to quit and to really say I'm done and then move on to something else. It's the only way that you really fail at something. So if your business has been challenging this year, for example, which I know it has been for so many people, like everyone I know, in fact, pretty much is down on how much money they made the year previously and people are freaking out and all of these things, but that doesn't make you a failure. You're only a failure if you're like, I'm going to close my business, but you don't have to do that. There's a million ways to pivot. I'm telling you, do not throw in the towel too soon. I think that is the real difference between winning and losing honestly is like, at what point do you throw in the towel? I'm just not willing to throw in the towel. (laughs) That's it. Like when I look at people who started their business around the same time as me, and then I'm like, where did those people even go? I have no idea. The only reason I'm still here is because I refuse to quit. That's it. That's the only reason why I have more resilience and more persistence and more determination and maybe more enthusiasm for what I was doing. And the final one, our bonus one, which I was talking to my friend Shauna about, and she was like, this is so interesting. I never really thought about this, which is that good things and emotional turmoil can exist in tandem. So I had a really challenging year, honestly, emotionally. It was really tough in a lot of ways. And at the same time, there were so many good things that happened. So you don't have to Like, just because good things happened in your year doesn't mean that it was an amazing year. Like, there were things that I really wanted this year that did not really come to fruition the way I wanted them to. And as a result, I felt a lot of pain. But I also did many great things in my business and in my personal life this year. So good things and emotional turmoil can exist in tandem. And I think it's important to notice when you look back on your year and you appraise it, What was it that made it good or bad? Some people will look back on it and be like, well, the year I made the most money was 2019. And so to me, that's the benchmark of what a great year means. I'm personally not like that. I've had years where I made the most money, but I was in a lot of emotional pain. And so it doesn't really matter. I personally would prefer not to be in emotional pain over making tons of money. The good news is you don't have to choose. It's not an either or proposition. You get to have both, actually. And I've had years where I had both. But my point is just that when you look back at your year, you're going to notice what really fucking mattered to you. If you made tons of money, but you were single and lonely, then was it a good year for you? Maybe for you it was. And maybe for some other people it wouldn't be. But I think it's really important to just get clarity around that. And also to remember that good things and bad things can happen at the same damn time. And it doesn't make you a failure. It just means you're a person going through a process and you're learning some stuff as we all hopefully are. So there you go. Those are the biggest lessons I learned in 2022. 10 plus a bonus. 
And I hope that this has inspired you maybe or given you some realizations or you've had some light bulb moments from hearing my summary of the year. If you are watching on YouTube or listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, I'd love to hear a review of the podcast or a comment and just tell me what's the lesson that I talked about that really hit you the most. I'm so curious to hear, like, is are any of these lessons that you also have learned this year? Because I love to see where we line up. I think that's so fascinating. So anyway, that's it for me. Happy almost new year. I love you so much. I have a lot planned for 2023. It's going to be a great year. I am declaring it. I am decreeing it. This is just what we're doing. We are going to have an amazing year. Like, shake my hand. We are going to have an amazing year together. And I'm so fucking excited. And um, there's just so much good stuff to come for me and for you and for everyone. So I love you for being here. Thank you. And I'll see you in the new year. Woo!